the best thing you can do to be an effective advocate for occupational therapy is to be a member of your state association and of AOTA because those dues support the work that is happening on your behalf. Because let's be honest, you benefit from that work regardless of whether or not you're paying dues. But how much the whole profession or you as an individual benefits depends directly on the number of members that exist. So if you're like me, you invested a lot of money in becoming an OT or an OTA, and you have a pretty vested interest in staying an OT or OTA. So if I can give $300 a year, if I combine like my AOTA and state association dues, if I can do $300 a year to ensure that I'm still able to be an OT, to me, that is worth it a thousand times over. Hi, I'm Clarice Grody, and welcome to the Amplify OT podcast. I'm an occupational therapist by trade and a policy wonk by choice. This podcast is here to help you survive and thrive in the U.S. healthcare system through a better understanding of policy, advocacy, and value-based care. So let's dive in. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Amplify OT podcast. Today, I have a topic that I have a lot of passion for, and that is advocacy and discussing where exactly advocacy is happening on behalf of the profession. And the main thing I want to discuss is a couple of different ideas that I see perpetuated around, which is one, that there isn't advocacy happening either on the federal or the state or the local level and that there isn't a presence of our associations in these areas. So I want to talk about that. And then I also want to talk about this idea that advocacy is someone else's problem or that it's something that happens to me, but not necessarily something that I as an individual need to engage in or am capable of engaging in. So I want to talk about this idea of responsibility and what is our responsibility as individuals, as parts of this profession to engage in advocacy and what exactly this advocacy is. Because I think when a lot of people hear the term advocacy, they think that it's something that may not apply to them, that it involves a lot of work or that they don't have the skill set to do it or that it requires a certain type of person, you know, holding the blowhorn and going to, to rallies or whatever it may be. And that that is what advocacy is. And that really either gets us off the hook for engaging in something that supports our profession, but also doesn't really recognize the advocacy that you're probably already doing on a daily basis that you don't even know that you're doing because we don't think of it that way as advocacy. So those are the two primary topics of where are associations providing advocacy and supporting advocacy and what is our role in advocating for the profession. So first and foremost, let's talk about the American Occupational Therapy Association, or AOTA. Now, as you may know, I did a level two field work at AOTA, meaning that I spent 12 weeks living and working in Washington, D.C. with the American Occupational Therapy Association under Heather Parsons, who is the director or the vice president now of federal affairs. So I got an intimate firsthand look at exactly what their daily lives look like and exactly the type of work that they do every day on behalf of the profession. 
Now, like many other organizations, there are teams or kind of groups of people within AOTA that focus on certain areas. So with AOTA, we often refer to them as teams. So the main teams that are advocating for you now, keep in mind, this is a very small group of the multiple different teams we have, because like you have different things for like conference and all that sort of stuff. But your main kind of advocacy, people who you're going to contact for with questions is your federal affairs team. So they work primarily on lobbying Congress, the United States House of Representatives and Senate. We have the regulatory team, which focuses primarily on regulations, which are basically the policy, the laws that you have at play. We have our state affairs team. They handle pretty much everything that has to do with the states, which, as you can imagine, pretty big job, 50 states, lots of stuff going on. We also have our quality team. The quality team is kind of amalgamation of all those individuals as well as a quality director, and they focus primarily on quality. So looking at what is quality within occupational therapy, quality measures, quality outcomes, because a lot of times those things go hand in hand with regulations and payment policies. They really go together. So all of these groups definitely are closely connected. They meet on a consistent basis. They collaborate with each other because oftentimes things don't fall clearly into any one bucket. So they work together to support this work. That is just, again, a small group of individuals, but those are your primary core teams that are advocating for you on a daily basis. Now, when I say teams, I know that that can give us an idea that there's a ton of people working in these divisions, but I want to be clear, there are not. And so that is why we really have to be careful with where we spend, you know, get the biggest bang for our buck when we're advocating, which is why AOTA can't always do everything that we would like to have done because there's only so much time in a day and there's only so many personnel. And I'm going to touch on this, especially when we talk about state associations, but a lot of what associations like AOTA or your state association are able to do is a direct result of how many members they have and how many engaged members they have. Unfortunately, nothing in this world is free. And the primary way that we pay the individuals at AOTA to do this work or support some of the initiatives that the state associations do is primarily through dues from members. So that is why I sound like a broken record every time I say that the best way to be an advocate is to be a member, because by being a member, you are investing in the association, in the people who represent you to do the work that you may not have time to do. And that's okay, because you're still taking an active role by being a member in the association, you're still being engaged, you're still paying attention, you're still being an active participant and supporting the work, even if you aren't able to do that work on a daily basis. Because let's face it, not everyone has a bunch of free time, and that is totally okay. I will definitely admit, especially when I was much more burnt out, I was working as a full time clinician, I had to dial back a lot of what I was doing because I needed to take care of me. But I was always a member because that money was an investment in my ability to continue to be an occupational therapist, but also supported the people who are doing that work so that I could take care of myself. All right, back on topic. So let's start with the federal affairs team. So the federal affairs team is about five people. So we have two and a half full-time lobbyists. And we say two and a half because we have Abe Saffer, who's primarily on education, pediatrics. He's a lobbyist. We have Andy Bope who is in charge of pretty much everything Medicare, full-time lobbyist. And then Heather Parsons, they kind of count her as like a half a lobbyist. Now, Heather is definitely a full lobbyist, but because she is also the vice president of the federal affairs team, she's not able to spend all of her time lobbying like she would like to 
but definitely her biggest initiatives tend to fall into the mental health regulation. And she has also been a huge proponent of a lot of our OTA legislation and those sorts of things. And Heather is actually an occupational therapist. And so she's obviously got a lot of skin in the game. And I interviewed her in November. So if you want to hear how amazing Heather is and all the knowledge she has, listen to that interview about the 2022 advocacy initiatives. Which to help you find that episode easier, it is episode 17. So that takes care of three people on the Fed Affairs team. Now we also have Darlene. Darlene has been at AOTA for like over 40 years. She has done everything there is to do at AOTA and holds so much amazing knowledge. She primarily is in charge of PAC right now. So it's the American Occupational Therapy Political Action Committee. The AOT PAC is something that we can talk about another day, but it if you want to find out more information, go to aota.org forward slash AOTPAC. They're basically a advocacy arm that works in conjunction with AOTA through contributions to political campaigns. Now, in addition to Darlene running AOTPAC, we also have Jill Tai. Jill Tai is partially responsible for AOTPAC, but they're also really responsible for grassroots initiatives. And so Jill is absolutely fantastic. AOTA interviewed them on their podcast. So listen to that. I think that was also back in November. But Jill has so much energy. They're fantastic. And they really put on Hill Day and all those other initiatives. And they are just kind of the jack of all trades and really a crucial part of the federal affairs team. And so that is kind of a brief overview of the federal affairs team. So keep in mind, all those articles that you see come out, all of those updates, all that advocacy, everything that's happening on a daily basis is being done by a team of five people which if you think about it, is pretty darn incredible. Next, we have our regulatory affairs team. Now, this is a team of four individuals. So Sharmila is the head of regulatory affairs. She is absolutely fantastic at her job. And so she kind of keeps an overview of everything that's going on with regulatory affairs and helps kind of manage all of their projects and has her hands in a number of different things. You also have Jen Bogenreef, who is, again, fantastic. I'm going to say that all these people are fantastic, so I'll just skip over that. Um, but Jen is primarily responsible for pretty much everything post-acute care, so home health, skilled nursing facilities, inpatient rehab, all those sorts of things. She really digs into that information. And so her job primarily consists of keeping track of things that are going on, writing uh, reports for members as well as commenting on proposed rules. And so that is a big part of the regulatory affairs is commenting on proposed rules. And so if you go back and listen to episode six, that is where we talk about how Medicare law is made, where I talk about the rule proposal process, the rulemaking process. But anytime there is a proposed rule, as long as it impacts the AOTA submitting comments. And so that happens multiple times a year. Um, and these proposed rules are often extremely long. So they read them, they respond to them. Now, majority of the people, well, I guess not anymore. Sharmila and Jen are both lawyers and are fantastic. And so it's great that we have lawyers who are reading the laws, which are the regulations and responding to them. So they both have big jobs. So we've got two people left on the regulatory team. We have Julie Lenhart. Julie is responsible for pretty much everything, private practice, private insurance. She seems to single-handedly battle just about every private insurance. So we're talking like non-Medicare and Medicaid. So a lot of your Medicare Advantage plans, your Medi Medicaid Advantage plans, or your managed Medicaid plans, all those people that come out with some crazy policies every year about how they will or will not pay for OT, Julie handles a lot of that. She also handles a lot of the extra rules like prior authorization rules and other proposed rules that come from CMS. She handles a lot of those. And so 
lots of different demands on her plate, lots of different things that she's dealing with. Again, another fantastic individual. And last but not least, we have Kim Carr. She's an OT. She's a private practice clinician before she came to work at AOTA. And again, fantastic. And she works a lot on payment policy. So looking at CPT codes and the Medicare physician fee schedule, she wrote a lot of those articles, which again, the Medicare physician fee schedule was like over a thousand pages, reading through it, what it means for us, looking at MIPS, looking at all that kind of stuff. And that's what Kim is primarily responsible for. So again, Imagine all the payment policy, all the regulation, all the Medicare stuff, everything that's going on that is being managed by a team of four people at AOTA. Next, we have our state affairs team. Our state affairs team, I believe, is primarily four individuals, but I will admit that I do not interact with the state affairs team as often, so every now and then there may be someone else in there that I forget. So first and foremost, we have Chuck Wilmarth. He has been at AOTA a long time, another fantastic person. Chuck is in charge of the state affairs team and does a lot of different work with our state associations. Now, state affairs, pretty self-explanatory. They deal with the state's issues. So they really help coordinate with our different state associations. So the state OT associations, they collaborate with ASAP, which is our state association presidents. They monitor both regulation as well as legislation that's going on in the state levels because Sometimes, well, actually often, there is legislation that is introduced in multiple states at a time because it comes out of like one think tank. So it's really helpful to have someone like the state associations team that you can rely on when you're working at a state association, which I'll kind of talk about some of my experience as being a director of practice for the Missouri OT Association and why the state affairs team is really important. But it's really helpful to kind of have that federal high-level perspective so that when the states are having issues, they know what has worked in other states that might work in yours and kind of is able to identify what is going on at all states without each state association having to try and contact all 50 state associations to ask them if they've had this issue too. So they play a really important role. But again, you have like four people trying to manage everything that's going on in the country. So you have Chuck, who's the vice president, then we have Megan Poidler. Megan has really been taking on a lot of the licensure compacts. So again, that's something I talked about with her in episode seven. I love Megan. She has had a long history working in state legislations. And so you like your state House of Representatives and Senate. And so she works and pays attention to a lot on the legislative side. So what kind of bills are introduced in your state House and Senate? Because there is a lot of policy that falls into the state. And so that is something that we talk a lot about in the course, Mastering OT Policy and Medicare, that's now in the Amplify OT membership. But I talk a lot about where, because part of advocacy is knowing where is the right place to go to advocate. And so a lot of times the policies that are really frustrating to us actually are a state level issue versus a federal level issue. And so She is really vital in helping us identify a lot of those state-specific issues like licensure laws, the license compact, the your scope of practice, Medicaid reimbursement. A lot of that comes down to your state and not federal. Next, we've got Kristen Neville. I love talking to Kristen. So if you ever run into her, definitely go up and say hi. Kristen has a lot of responsibility over paying attention to licensure issues. So I love calling her for the occasional licensure brain teaser. One of my favorite ones that we talk about is that a lot of states have rules on whether or not, like you can't call yourself an occupational therapist in that state 
if you don't have a license in that state. So like if I go and guest lecture, let's say in South Carolina, where I'm not licensed, can I introduce myself as an occupational therapist? Because technically, if you look at some of the laws, I might be violating the law temporarily by calling myself an occupational therapist in a state that I'm not licensed in. So it's always fun kind of discussing those sorts of things if you're a policy nerd like me and Kristen. But Kristen is fantastic and does a lot of stuff with licensure laws, a lot of stuff with the regulations. And so her and Megan work closely together and kind of seeing where those things go. And so again, many of these individuals do multiple different things. This just may be where their scope primarily falls. And last but not least, we have Laura. And Laura works primarily on Medicaid and healthcare reform. So she did a lot of work with the essential health benefits and the Affordable Care Act and a bunch of things like that. So again, a pretty broad scope of things to keep track of. I think she's done a lot of stuff with like work requirements and Medicaid and looking at those sorts of things, all things that are really important and things to keep track of. And so again, really valuable, really fantastic. Then we also have our quality team, which again, the quality team is kind of made up of members of all of these different groups. And then there's a quality director who used to be Julie Malloy, but now she is vice president of practice improvement. Again, another fantastic OT who's really involved in quality initiatives and who I work closely with a lot. And so then they're bringing in a new quality director, I believe, soon. So lots of amazing people at AOTA. But the main thing to think about this is that there is advocacy that's happening. A lot of it happens kind of behind the scenes where there's not always a press release or there's not always an OT practice article about it, which isn't always the case. Whenever you get OT practice, it's usually like three or four pages in. And that's where you tend to find the kind of advocacy updates from AOTA staff. And so that's always the first place I look. If there's any part of the OT practice magazine I read, it's that part to kind of get an idea of what AOTA has been doing on our behalf. But it's important to know that just because you may not have heard about it or you didn't see something from it, it doesn't mean that AOTA isn't aware of an issue or isn't addressing an issue. So again, lots of things that they're keeping track of, lots of things that impact the profession. And generally speaking, a fairly small team that's accomplishing all these amazing feats every day, which is why it's so important to be a member so that we can continue to keep this amazing team and hopefully potentially in the future expand it, assuming that we have the membership to support it. Are you ready to take your occupational therapy practice to the next level? Then look no further than the Amplify OT membership. You heard that right. Amplify OT has its very own membership program. This membership is designed to help occupational therapy practitioners just like you stay informed about the latest developments in Medicare and advocacy. You will have exclusive access to resources, webinars, the Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course, Q&A sessions, plus the ability to DM me your questions and get answers fast. But of course, that is not all. As a member, you'll be part of a community of like-minded occupational therapy practitioners who share their expertise and offer support. So by joining the Amplify OT membership, you'll be able to stay up to date on the latest Medicare regulations and guidelines, learn how to advocate for your patients and your profession, connect with other OT practitioners and students to share your knowledge, and you'll have access to those exclusive resources and webinars so you can reach your full potential as an OT provider. So don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Sign up for the Amplify OT membership today by going to the link in the show notes or amplifyot.com forward slash membership. Don't forget to stay informed and be the change that you want to see in our healthcare system. 
Today's episode is proudly sponsored by MedBridge, your go-to resource for advancing your occupational therapy career and, of course, getting those necessary CEUs. If you are passionate about staying at the forefront of our field and enhancing your skills, MedBridge is a comprehensive solution. With the MedBridge subscription, you gain access to an extensive library of high-quality live and recorded courses led by industry experts. So stay up to date with the latest advancements in occupational therapy, explore evidence-based practice, and enhance your clinical skills. One reason that I really like and recommend MedBridge is because they have both intervention-based courses and policy and reimbursement-based courses, and that is a rare find in a CEU company. But here's the best part for our OT amplifiers community. If you use the promo code AMPLIFYOT at checkout, you'll unlock an exclusive 40% discount on your MedBridge subscription. Yes, you heard that right, 40% off with the code AMPLIFYOT, that's A-M-P-L-I-F-Y-O-T. This is a fantastic opportunity to save some money, elevate your practice, and support Amplify OT. So don't miss out on this chance to supercharge your professional development and head over to medbridge.com, use the promo code AmplifyOT, and enjoy the benefits of MedBridge while also supporting AmplifyOT and all the free resources that we produce here, like this podcast. So again, head to medbridge.com, use the code AmplifyOT at checkout, and we also have the link for you in the show notes. You can see there that AOTA does a lot of federal and state-level stuff, but a lot of that kind of grassroots, so the people who are boots on the ground in the states are your state OT associations. So I believe every single state has a state occupational therapy association and they are varying levels of size and activity. So some state associations are pretty small with maybe a couple hundred members. Others are quite large with a few thousand members. The nice thing about state associations is that the dues tend to be really quite affordable And it's a really low barrier to entry to gain a leadership experience because there's just not as much competition for the national level experiences, which you could argue there are good things and bad things about there not being as much competition. But if you're interested in pursuing a leadership experience or networking or growing that side of your skill set, starting with the state association is a really great way to do that. So many of the state associations have some sort of advocacy chair or advocacy committee And there's actually quite a few capstone students who have worked with their state associations on building advocacy initiatives, because I talked to quite a few of them. So kudos to all of you who are doing that work. But it's a really great opportunity to get involved and figure out what's happening on your state level, because the state controls a lot of different things that impact your daily practice. Like I said, like your scope of practice, like whether or not you're able to provide telehealth, whether or not you are able to use modalities without like a certain kind of training, uh, how many OTAs an OT can supervise, how many years of experience you need to do certain things, how many CEUs you need when you need to renew your license. Like all of that is determined by the state. So pretty much all of your licensure stuff determined by the state, whether or not you even have a license is determined by the state. Medicaid reimbursement determined by the state, how much they pay for your services, whether or not they will pay for OT, how many visits you get, what you can do as an OT and get paid for under Medicaid. All of those things are determined by the state. And so if there is an issue with like a managed Medicaid plan, which I saw this as an issue recently on Instagram, is that there is an issue with a managed Medicaid program. It was run by Humana 
where they were no longer going to pay OTs who billed for certain CPT codes because they decided that that was a PT code. There are numerous stories like that of private insurers that have kind of made weird policies about what they will and won't pay for. And there's a lot of stuff, conversation of like, well, what can we do? What can we do? And the answer really is contact your state association, make sure that they are aware, and then contact that plan. AOTA does get involved in state issues every now and again, depending on the severity of the issue, depending on the scope, and also depending on how much support there is in that state. And depending on like what kind of expertise there is. Now, there's always support. It just depends on what kind of support it is and how much, because some states really have a great handle on this stuff. But you need to contact your state association for those issues because that is controlled by the state. You know, managed Medicaid is controlled by the Medicaid program. So lots of issues happen on the state level. Lots of our, you know, infringements on our scope of practice happen on the state level. So state advocacy is super important in having a presence. Not all state associations have a lobbyist. Depending on where you live, a lobbyist can be quite expensive. So whether or not your state is able to afford a lobbyist really depends on members because you can't pay someone if you're not bringing in any dues. And that was an issue in the Missouri OT Association. We didn't have a lobbyist for a long time because for a while there, I believe one of our lobbyists was charging like $30,000 a year. And when we only had like 300 members, we were not bringing in $30,000 a year that could afford to pay for you know, the cost of running our email list, the cost of running our website, the cost of hosting conference, which is expensive, the cost of buying materials and mailers and whatever else, because it's important to remember that the people who run your state association are not paid. They are 100% volunteers who often have families who work full time. Many of them are professors or, you know, myself, when I was director of practice, I worked full time as an acute care therapist. And I did all of that work 100% volunteer. So state associations are volunteer run. And so they really rely on your membership in order to do things. So how much of an impact your state association has really depends on the number of people involved, because it takes man hours to do this kind of stuff to track what's going on in your legislation and your legislators, just like it does on the federal affairs side and depends on how much money and revenue they bring in as to what they're able to afford to do. The best thing you can do to be an effective advocate for occupational therapy is to be a member of your state association and of AOTA because those dues support the work that is happening on your behalf. Because let's be honest, you benefit from that work regardless of whether or not you're paying dues. But how much the whole profession or you as an individual benefits depends directly on the number of members that exist. So if you're like me, you invested a lot of money in becoming an OT or an OTA, and you have a pretty vested interest in staying an OT or OTA. So if I can give $300 a year, if I combine like my AOTA and state association dues, if I can do $300 a year to ensure that I'm still able to be an OT, to me, that is worth it a thousand times over. Because if I was unable to be an OT or Medicare decided to no longer pay for occupational therapy, think about how many of us would lose our jobs, how many of us would lose the income that supports our families, that supports our interests, our hobbies, our lifestyle. It'd be pretty detrimental. Or if you lost your license in your state, which could happen if there's a bad bill introduced, there was a bill introduced that 
in Missouri at one point that would have allowed people to practice occupational therapy without a license, which would have completely undermined our credibility. It would have been really bad. And so for me to invest money and my ability to continue to be an OT is really important to me and hopefully important to you as well. And that brings me to my final point of the fact that advocacy isn't somebody else's problem, it's our problem. But also, more likely than not, you're already engaging in advocacy and you just may not have known it. The core root of advocacy is basically convincing someone else to agree with your opinion of how things should happen. So when you are convincing a patient to engage with OT, that's engaging in advocacy because you're convincing them to believe what you believe, which is that OT will help them. When you ask a physician to modify plans or to order occupational therapy or any combination, or you talk with case management about what occupational therapy is and the value and why we are recommending a certain discharge plan, that is advocacy. You are encouraging someone, laying out an argument with evidence as to why they should believe what you are saying. That is advocacy. So you already have the skill set that you need to be an amazing occupational therapy advocate. It's about applying it in other ways. So I think that's something that we need to do is some mental work around this idea of what advocacy means to me and what it looks like to be an OT advocate, because what it looks like to be an OT advocate is you. You are the expert on OT and the profession needs you. Because remember, we all benefit off of the advocacy and the efforts that are happening on our behalf every single day. So if you have the time, if you have the interest, if you have the energy, the profession needs you you need you. Your patients, your future patients need you. We don't always like to talk about reimbursement or acknowledge that we get paid for the work we do because we like to think that even if we didn't get paid, we would do it. But I mean, it's okay to admit that if you weren't getting paid, you wouldn't show up to work every day. And our ability to get paid allows us to continue to see more and more patients. Because if we could only see the people who could afford to pay us out of pocket, that'd be a pretty small subsect of people. And I don't think many of us would be happy with our jobs because we wouldn't feel like we're having the impact that we want to have. So it's okay to acknowledge that you like getting paid for your work and to advocate for that pay. So whether or not all you can do is be a member, that's fantastic because you're still supporting advocacy. But if you have the interest and the time, consider signing up to be a volunteer at either your state association or with AOTA. I have done both. I have found both to be extremely rewarding experiences. I was advocacy and policy coordinator for the Home and Community Health Special Interest Section for AOTA. I did that for three years. I got that position like three months after graduating, um, which was really intimidating, but a fantastic experience and taught me a lot about all the work that's happening every day on our behalf and also gave me some fantastic opportunities to expand my leadership skills, presenting skills, all sorts of different kind of stuff. I then was the director of practice for the Missouri Occupational Therapy Association, where I supported the licensure compact legislative initiative, hosted town halls, planned our Hill days. Again, gave me a really intimate look at the work that is happening every single day, again, on my behalf as a clinician, We were able to make a real impact in our state practice act because there was a law in Missouri at the time that said that if you were a new grad OT, you could not supervise an OTA until you had one year license experience. And frankly, it made it really hard for me to find a job because a key component of many of these jobs in Missouri, especially like skilled nursing facilities, was the ability to supervise OTAs. And so people would 
reply to my emails and say, sorry, we can't hire a new grad OT because you can't legally supervise an OTA. Well, I brought that to the state association. I showed them the emails I was receiving, and we found out that we were the only state with that still on the books. And that was something that was put on the books like way back, you know, 10, 15 years before, and it needed to be removed. And so we opened up the rulemaking process and removed that piece. And so now if you are a new grad in Missouri, you can supervise an OTA without any kind of life. Well, I mean, you have to be licensed, obviously, but you don't have to have a year worth of licensed experience because it was a burdensome law. And so you're welcome. Congratulations. Advocacy that happened on your behalf that you are benefiting from now that I wish I had had when I was a new grad, but I was more than happy to do the work to support uh, new clinicians in the state of Missouri, which is my hometown. So again, advocacy is happening every single day on your behalf. And that's where there's this responsibility of us as clinicians, where if there is an issue to make your state association, to make AOTA aware, private insurances do not email AOTA or your state association every time they decide to send a policy. Oftentimes we don't even know about it because they, you know, at least Medicare, everything is public with private insurers. You know, they keep that stuff under lock and key. So if you are getting issues where they are denying claims, where they aren't paying for certain codes or they've changed a policy, you need to send that along. And that's part of your professional responsibility. Just like if you have a patient who says they're at risk for harming themselves or there's a child who's in danger, it is your professional responsibility to report that to the appropriate bodies It is also your professional responsibility to report issues that are happening at work because we cannot know everything that is going on. When I was in the state association, there was no way that I knew what was happening. I only knew what was happening at my clinic unless someone else told me what else was going on. And then we were able to address that issue and then we were able to look into it. So if you see something that is concerning to you, if you're having an issue, then you need to make sure that someone is aware, your state association, AOTA, Posting it on social media is fine, but making sure that you're also sending it to the people who can actually do something about it, because oftentimes this kind of work takes time, it takes effort, and it takes manpower. It takes people and bodies and letters and consistent comments to make change. So if there is something that you leave here with today, it is knowing that one, advocacy is happening every single day on your behalf. Even if you don't see it and you don't hear about it, you are benefiting from it. Two, it is our professional responsibility to engage in advocacy, whether it's just being a fantastic clinician and being a member, that is a fantastic way to be an OT advocate, or if it's more involved, like getting involved in your state association, attending meetings, going to conferences, potentially being in a leadership position because you have the skills to be an amazing leader. So I encourage you at some point to throw your name in the ring. I mean, even for AOTA elections, which make sure you vote. Both the positions for the board are completely unopposed, which I think we should have a little bit of competition for our AOTA board members, right? So throw your name in the ring. Don't wait to be invited to the table. Sometimes you might receive that invitation, but other times you're going to need to pull up a chair and sit down. So take ownership of your amazing skills, your amazing capacities, And take a vested interest in your ability to continue to be an occupational therapist and an occupational therapy assistant. Get involved. Be a member. You have the skills you need. You are the expert on occupational therapy. And the profession and your patients and yourself need you to take action. Okay. Let me know if you have any questions. Reach out. Comment. Would love to hear your thoughts on this podcast. If you want to hear more about state and federal advocacy, 
I'd be more than happy to talk about it. This is one of my favorite soapboxes. So thank you so much again for listening to the Amplify OT podcast. If you want to learn more about this kind of stuff, I talk a lot about it in the Amplify OT membership in my course, Mastering OT Policy and Medicare, which is part of the membership. We talk a lot about what is happening. We get more in depth as to kind of advocacy that you can take and also problem solving on what kind of stuff is going on and who to contact because half of advocacy is learning who is the right person to contact for this kind of stuff. All right. Have a fantastic rest of your day and go out there and be amazing occupational therapy advocates. And I'll see you later. If you made it this far, I want to just take a moment to say thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast. And I hope you're feeling a little more inspired and prepared to amplify your value and the value of occupational therapy. If you found yourself at any point thinking, gosh, I guess policy isn't that dull and boring, then you're definitely going to love how we talk about policy and advocacy in the Amplify OT membership. There's a link in the show notes where you can sign up today so you can take an immediate next step towards emerging as a confident clinician. And of course, don't forget to follow the Amplify OT podcast so that way you never miss an episode. And you know, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and leave us a five-star review because that's the best way to help others find the podcast too. And of course, thank you so much to Jessica Riccio for editing this podcast and for all of you for giving me a reason to record it. You're now officially part of the OT Amplifier community and you are now prepared to go out there and advocate for OT because remember, if we don't advocate for occupational therapy, then who will?